whoever reigns. In his name we pray. Amen. And so I invite you to give your attention to God's word. Joshua chapter 8. This will be our last time in Joshua until after the Advent season. After all, next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. And I know you've gotten your Christmas shopping all done and you don't need to worry about anything further. But as we continue in this series, Joshua chapter 8. We come to the end of the chapter to a very important section, verses 30 through 35. Now, the overall title for this is We Go Now, because the time is now for the people of God who have entered the land to occupy the land, to take possession of it. It's theirs. God has given it to them. And yet, by faith, they must act as they face a very entrenched enemy who is opposed to God and to his people. And yet they are meeting with success. They've had to deal with their own sin, that obstacle that they created for themselves. And the Lord has demonstrated his faithfulness and that once that sin was dealt with, that God has blessed them to continue on their way. So are you ready? You ready to go now? We've crossed the river. We're on the way. There waits in store for us a glorious land, a land that is fairer than day. So let's read together. Joshua chapter 8, beginning with verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones. And the sojourners who lived among them. As the grass withers and the flower fades, we know that the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. God is faithful. And he is there and he is not silent. Francis Schaeffer declared that word decades ago. In reminding us, in an age in which Time magazine and a headline on its front page in 1969 had said, God is dead, that he is not dead, he is there, and he is speaking. And all of us who know him know that that's the truth, that he has not left us to grope and to find our way in the darkness, but that God has demonstrated his faithfulness 
to us in that he has spoken his word. And as we see here in Joshua chapter 8, after the children of Israel have experienced the battles of Jericho, the ignominious defeat at Ai, and then the succeeding victory after dealing with the sin of Achan, they come to this place where they build an altar. For we see that the worship of the Lord is to be central in the life of the believer. And the worship of the one true and living God that is central in the life of the believer will be characterized as one that is focused on an atoning sacrifice. And so we are reminded here that we can approach God because of an atoning sacrifice, not because of any goodness in us or because of our obedience. Now, I know with all the books that are out there and all the articles that are being written about how wonderful you are and how self-actualized you can be, that it just might be that we would think, well, God is blessed to have me in his kingdom. I mean, after all, I'm such a wonderful person. Think of how the kingdom of God is enhanced because I'm a part of it. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but the truth is God hasn't saved us because we're lovable or because he looked down from heaven and saw what a wonderful person you and I might be. We are saved by grace and by grace alone. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us exactly the opposite of what we deserve. And so if we're going to worship God as he is, knowing that he does exist and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, we must worship him because ultimately the penalty for all of my disobedience and waywardness has been paid. Paid by someone. And that someone must be Christ Jesus. For you see this altar, as all altars throughout the Old Testament, are assigned to us, they point us directly toward that one place where that one sacrifice was made once for all. A place where Jesus, the Son of the Most High and Living God, sacrificed himself for us. Joshua built the altar because it had been directed. God had told Moses that when they entered the land, there should be an altar constructed. One of uncut stones. There was no attempt here for man to try to enhance worship through his own innovation or inventive ability. But taking stones just as they were, constructing the altar, all because it had been written. And upon that altar, sacrifices were made. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the good news that we proclaim today. And we need good news, don't we? Sitting at the airport at Asheville yesterday evening, hoping that I could relieve Pastor John's stress by... Him knowing that I would be here this morning, I, of course, get a notice on my phone that my flight's been delayed. A gunshot in the airport in Atlanta shut everything down. Who knows why, but it happened. Nobody was harmed by the gunshot. It was the panic that ensued afterwards. And so everything had to be searched out. And I'm sitting there thinking, all I want to do is just get to Fort Myers in time to get some sleep tonight. 
Who is this idiot with a gun at security at an airport? And all the other news items that have us fixated on the television. Remember, it's not being reported, but there continues to be good news. God really has made a provision for this mess that we find ourselves. And where are all of us? As Paige Bitten Brown, daughter of one of our PCA pastors, says, where we find ourselves this morning is sitting in the middle of the fall. I'm not talking about the season of the year. I'm talking about this condition that we're in because our first parents sinned against God. We're all sitting in the middle of this mess that is the fall. And there's only one who can get us out of it. And that came by way of sacrifice. And we must never forget that. Remembering, as the writer of Hebrews said, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let me repeat that just so you'll know that I did not misspeak. He did not sin. If a pollster calls you up or contacts you by email and asks you a question, however it may be worded, and wants to inquire of you whether you think that Jesus ever sinned, you have God's own word. He did not. There seems to be confusion about that in the church today, but not confusion among true believers. We know that he is the lamb without spot, without blemish. Otherwise, he could not be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the Bible says further in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How can we approach his throne with confidence? Because Jesus has made open the way. And this altar proclaims that to us, even in the Old Testament. Points us to Jesus. Remember Joshua? His name is the same as Jesus. It's just the Old Testament Hebrew word for Jesus. Yeshua. Yeshua. Jesus, Jesus, coming from Hebrew, Aramaic, to Greek, into English. Joshua is the one who offers the sacrifice, and in that, he is an imperfect prototype of the one who will come. Our Jesus, who does all things well. So in this season of Thanksgiving, we truly have something to be thankful for. Now I know we all go through those seasons when we wonder, what is there to be thankful for? It's not just that the washing machine goes out, the refrigerator goes with it. And then somebody leaves a screw or a nail somewhere in a road. You know, I've always said that my tires can attract those things from 20 feet away. I don't even have to drive over one. All I have to do is just get close to it, and somehow it finds its way into the tread on my tire. How does that work? And all those things tend to come together. We go through those seasons of life when we lose loved ones. It seems like in, in quick succession. And we're wondering, where is an end of the grief and the heartache? Where is the joy and the happiness? And yet, if we look beyond our circumstances, beyond this veil of tears, we will see Jesus, who reigns triumphant. For even though he had to endure the sufferings of this world to a degree that we will never know if we know him, 
He endured all of that so that we might be rescued from it. And we also see here that the scriptures, both written and rewritten, are God's own word. So it's not just that God spoke through Moses. He moved Moses to write down the things that were given to him. And further, when Joshua rewrites them, these words continue to be God's own words. That's important to us because I'm reading today from a Bible. And guess what? Joshua didn't write the words on the page of my Bible. They came from a printer somewhere in the Midwest, I suppose. Probably Illinois, if I'm guessing right. A lot of good things come out of Illinois. Don't be surprised. I have to throw that in because I meet every week with a group of guys who are from Peoria area. So, you know, good things come from there. Joshua didn't physically write the words on our Bibles. Moses didn't physically write the words that we have in the first five books, even though he is the source of those things. And on and on it goes. And yet, even though... The word has been rewritten. It continues to be the very word of God. Those words that Joshua inscribed on those stones were God's word. That's an important lesson. Don't overlook it. When Billy Graham stood before the thousands in the Colosseums all through those years, and he would jab toward heaven or bring his hand quickly down to the page. Don't you remember that? How he, I always wonder, how did he do that without hitting the microphone? I'd be swatting that thing. God says, the Lord says, with authority, even though he's reading from an English Bible. The word was originally in Hebrew. There's some of it in Aramaic, others, other parts of it in Greek, in the New Testament especially. But reading from an English translation, nevertheless, this is God's word. We have confidence in that. You see what an important lesson that is? And of course, ultimately, Jesus is the word. Words are the means by which we communicate with each other. Jesus is the primary means by which God communicates with us. The word came to us. Indeed, John, the disciple, follower of Jesus, says, I write these things to you. Do you hear that? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The basis of our knowledge is based on a word that is written, a word preserved down through these long ages. Hey, don't take for granted that we can open up a Bible and read it in our own language. People literally have died. Have died. Burned at the stake and faced horrors of torture. Just so that we can have a word in our language. God's own word. And so we see that as this, this altar is constructed, words inscribed on stones remain the word of God. And note how the people of God are here. In the mountains. That doesn't mean we can't worship here in the flat plain of southwest Florida. But here, 20 miles from the location of their most previous battle, they gathered just as God had commanded. All of the people who were a part of that great entourage... All of them listed here, the sojourner as well as the native-born elders, officers, their judges, 
standing on opposite sides of the ark, which is the very symbol of God's presence. And this wonderful antiphonal worship was taking place as the word was being read. The people were standing there on the slopes of these mountains, listening to that glorious word read. Half in front of Mount Gerizim and half in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. And the law is read. We should be thankful for God's instruction. Many people today think that religion is just a way that we have of restricting freedom, of confining us in our activities and actions. Let me tell you something. When I was finally able to get on that plane yesterday evening in Asheville, I was very thankful that the pilot flew the plane according to his training and the instruments that were in front of him. I'm glad that we didn't get up in the air and the pilot suddenly decided, you know, I don't like being constrained to all these rules. I want to see what happens if the plane does this. Hey, think about it. We live in a postmodern era. People don't like the idea of being constrained by rules and regulations. They just want to do things, do whatever feels right. I'm glad my pilot didn't just act according to feeling last night. We we could be in a situation where he could say, you know, I feel like we ought to go down at this point. Even though his uh, turn bank indicator and other things would have him fly in a different direction. That's how plane crashes happen. People who are not rated on instruments can sometimes be flying in a, in a plane and find themselves in a cloud bank. And it's possible, they say, to literally be flying upside down and not know it. Because they won't believe their instruments. They see what the instruments say, but it doesn't feel right. So if you're going to fly that way. You need to know that it's possible to fly that way just before the plane crashes into the ground. God has given us his word to keep the crash from happening. He's given us his own covenant, his own instruction so that we may live life as it's intended to be lived. If you want to know what freedom is, then live it in Christ. You shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. So, remember what a blessing God's word is. And finally, God assures and reassures the faithful while sternly warning the wayward. There were both blessings and curses. Blessings that would result from obedience. Curses that would come from disobedience. And unfortunately for the people of God, there were more seasons of disobedience than of blessing. And this too points us to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the only one who has perfectly obeyed. As Rachel read our New Testament reading this morning from Matthew, she ended with a verse that could be very disconcerting for us. Telling us that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Wow. How is that possible? I'll tell you right now, it is impossible unless you are in Christ. Only on the basis of Christ's 
perfect obedience can our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So the bad news for you today is this. You have fallen short of the mark and it is not possible to make up the difference. But the good news is Jesus has. He has bridged the gap. He has come and he who knew no sin has become sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. So... Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. The times are changing. Every day brings different tidings of news and more things to upset us and cause us to have trouble eating and sleeping. But be assured of this. God never changes and neither will his love. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you've repented of your sins and trusted in him. God loves you and he loves you right now just as much as he will love you 10,000 years from now when you're in glory and have achieved perfection. How is that even possible? Because you are in Christ. And he loves you. He's not going to wait for you to get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm having some second thoughts about this one. Did you see what she was thinking about right before she went to sleep? Did you see what he did yesterday? No, God is faithful so we can give thanks to him. And that's an assurance. His faithfulness is great. I was so thankful for that song this morning because it brings back so many wonderful memories and thoughts from childhood. That hymn was number 11 in the hymnal that I grew up with with at the Hazelwood Presbyterian Church. I know that because it was requested every Wednesday evening at prayer meeting by a dear saint of a lady who sang in our choir every Sunday and was there every time the door opened. She grew up in less than pristine circumstances. As a little girl, her earliest memory was standing beside her mother, holding her mother's dress when she had a stroke. And fell to the floor and died. That was her first memory. Her father loved her and the family and did the best as he knew how at the time to try to raise them. But there finally came that time when he was so overwhelmed by the pressures and the stresses of life that he took his own life and left her orphaned. In later years, she married. A man who had been through the horrors of combat in World War II, who told me that every night as he went to sleep, he still remembered the man who was with him in the foxhole who got a letter from home, one of those notorious Dear John letters, where his beloved had married another. And Jay said he took the letter and folded it up and just stood up. And with fierce enemy fire, He was gone in a matter of seconds. The terrible memories of that and other things led him to a life of alcoholism. And so our beloved friend found herself in a marriage that was difficult, but she never ceased to pray for her husband and managed to raise godly daughters. And in the end, Jay came home to the Lord. As with tears in his eyes, lying on his bed in a nursing home, he said, Preacher, I heard you pray to the one true and living God. And he said, today I found him to be true and living.
And I want you to know that I'm trusting in Jesus. And every Wednesday night, we would sing, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Savior. Because a lady who knew that faithfulness wanted us to sing about it with her. God is faithful. He loves you, Christian. Maybe your family isn't so crazy about you. Maybe you have friends that are difficult, and maybe they're less than dependable. But in those moments when the darkness settles in and it feels like you're alone in this world, I want you to know that you never are. For our Savior has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And by God's grace, he is with us even through the valley of deep shadows. And yet he warns us. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. The children of Israel were warned that their disobedience would bring calamity. And it did. Disobedience to the gospel of God will bring calamity. Hell awaits those who reject God's son. But no one will go there unwarned. The warnings are clear. Have you heard them? And the answer is to flee to Jesus. Jesus himself says, then he will say to those on his left on that day, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these. You did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Everyone has been warned. And warnings are good things. Aren't you grateful for signs on the highway that say things like road out up ahead? Or road closed? Or bridge out? Aren't you grateful that the doctor gives you warning when he sees that your blood sugar is going in the wrong direction and tells you to make an adjustment in your diet? Wouldn't it be terrible if he said, hey, look, don't worry about it. Eat all the little Debbie cakes you want. In fact, you can have a whole box of chocolate-covered cherries for Christmas. Warnings are not always easy to hear, but are we not thankful for them? God has warned us, even as he assures us, that salvation is ours in Christ Jesus. So listen to him. Fly. Fly according to the instructions. And know what joy and freedom really are. Yes, Thanksgiving Day in the United States of America. I hope it's always a day of Thanksgiving in your hearts. 
when you reflect upon all that is ours in the Lord Jesus, that he has not left us as orphans, that he has not left us to find our own way, because he is there and he is not silent. And as the children of Israel gathered on either side of that ark on that day at the feet of those mountains, let us today in his presence give thanks to the one true and living God. And may his name evermore be praised. Let's pray. O oh, gracious Father and our God, as we see your people in ages past gathering in worship, extolling your praises, Lord, bless us with grace that in this hour we may too worship you with praise and thanksgiving in our hearts. For, Father, you are ever faithful to provide for us not what we deserve, but out of your goodness and mercy, you have blessed us to know Christ, that we may stand upon him who is the rock. Lord, we pray that you will bless, that we may be a people who trust you, who believe your word, who may be given grace to serve you here in preparation for an eternity of loving and serving you. And so, accept our thanks, for we render it in the name of Jesus, who is worthy. Amen. And I invite you, as we conclude this service together, to sing now, Thank We All Our God. How can we do otherwise? Let's sing.
And that's an amen on the end of that. I'm sorry, I just couldn't leave here without us singing that. Think of that. The one eternal God, whom earth and heaven adore. And thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. Christians, we have worshipped the Lord today. So as you go forth to the world, continue to worship and serve him. And be a blessing as you have been blessed. To that end, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen.